Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. That's near the back of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be going through, it's a. It's much shorter than 1 Corinthians, but it, uh, the Lord kind of led me to this as we were trying to decide what direction to go in for our, our next book to go through, and I think it's very timely. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for the worship thus far, Lord, and for each person that's here, God. And so, dear Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would be with the reading of your word and it would pierce hearts, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. We know this to be true, that bad things happen in our world today, regardless of our faith. However, for believers in Jesus Christ, trials and persecutions, it's more than just enduring. They are meant to build our endurance. They are meant to strengthen our faith. Because, you'll hear me say it again, the strongest faith is one that is tested. Through the storms, though they rage today, there are blue skies that are ahead. We, we saw last week, we saw some terrible storms that resulted in the, the death of a 15-year-old young man. And even today, I was hearing about somebody that had to go into work because a microburst went in and took out a whole lot of uh, property at, at the place they work at. And so these things about storms, and when you look at what's happening in Maui with the fires, last I heard this morning, I think the death toll was in the 90s now. I mean, these are things that are happening that it is just out of our control. <clears throat> and the thing is, a storm with light showers can be refreshing, can it? Especially when it's on a nice, <coughs> excuse me, spring day. But what is it about when they arrive at night? When storms come at night, when you see or you hear that there may be tornadoes touching down and it's at night, it's always scarier when it's at night. So whether you are a person that enjoys storms or you're the type of person that cannot stand them, the truth is, is that storms are beyond our control. That's what makes them scary. The storm that you are facing may not be one resulting from the weather this morning. Maybe it's from being tired. Maybe your mind is worn. Your spirit is tired. Your soul is aching. Yes, trials come in many forms. Persecution is another threat that the early church was facing. We experience it some in America today, but nothing like our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are having to choose their faith above their families and even above their lives. You may be tempted to doubt God by asking why. Maybe you're praying for God to give you a break or send you some help. But whether this is you or it has been you, or it may be you in the future, you and I can take heart from God's Word today. God, as we jump into your Word, Lord, may it not return null or void. And may you reach the hearts of those that are here today, or watching by way of video, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you brought your Bibles again, turn to First Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verses 1 through 2. Peter starts off his letter just like Paul did with a greeting. And he says, this is from, this letter is from Peter, an apostle 
of Jesus Christ. Now, when they would write letters back in that day, especially the Jewish men in the Jewish style, they would always start their letter with what gives them the authority to speak on what they're about to write about. Peter was not just an apostle. He wasn't just part of the disciple dozen. He was basically their leader. And he often spoke first, and he often spoke for them. And he told Jesus that he did not approve of what Jesus was saying when he was talking about dying. Jesus rebuked, which means strongly disapproved, of the things Peter said more than any of the other disciples. Matter of fact, Jesus called Peter Satan one time said, Satan, get thee behind me. Peter was first to jump out of the boat on the water to go to Jesus. Peter saw Jesus' divine nature on the Mount of Transfiguration. He got a glimpse of that divinity. But also, Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus restored Peter publicly, not once, not twice, but three times. Very likely, Peter was Jesus' best friend on this earth. Peter was the authority on Jesus. He continues and he says in the verse 1, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Some translations yours may say living as pilgrims in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you. I'll say that again. God the Father knew you. When you see the word knew, that is an intimate relationship. He, he knew you as much as you know your son, your daughter, your brother, your mother. He knew you and chose you long ago. Again, you are not here by accident today if you are a believer. Or if you're looking for God, it is not an accident that you are here. Because God chose you long ago and His Spirit has made you holy. It's not up to you to live up to God's standards. It is Him who makes you holy. He knows you're going to mess up. And that's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. It says, as a result, you have obeyed Him. And have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not cleansed by your goodness. Not cleansed by your church attendance. Not cleansed by your Facebook feed. Not cleansed by your Bible reading schedule. You were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. As we look at that, I want to just kind of make a few notes for you. It says that we're living as foreigners or pilgrims. Now, when you think of pilgrims, and I think of pilgrims, we think of Thanksgiving, we think of turkey, we think of corn, and we think of Indians, and we think of all those great things that we celebrate when it's time for Thanksgiving. But the truth of that is, is pilgrims like those that settled in America, they knew that America was their new home, but it's not where they were from. You are a foreigner. You are a pilgrim here. If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, if you believe and you know that the way you're going to spend eternity in heaven, you know that this is where you live, but this is not your home. 
Look, I understand when you go off on vacation or you go off on a long trip, there's just nothing like getting back to the old homestead and the house has the same smell. You've got your own bathroom, your own bed, you know, your dogs and all that kind of stuff. It's just something about being home. But still, if you want to be truthful about it, all of this is still for a believer, not home home. We are still pilgrims here. We are still foreigners here. We are still, we don't fully speak the language of this world. We don't fully understand what's going on. And we don't, we fit in kind of, sort of. And I think that's a good thing. So Paul is reminding the believers that this world is not our home. I've lived in several houses, apartments, and dorms in my life. But there is something special about riding by my original home in Chesterfield, Virginia, and seeing that. Some of you, I'll be in the car with you. We'll be on the bus. We'll be going somewhere. And I'll hear so-and-so grew there, so-and-so grew up there. But that's where I grew up. That's my old home. And there's something about that, isn't there? There's something about being home. The Christians at this time were dispersed and spread out due to persecution. Yes, the Christian church was being persecuted. And so people were fleeing. Peter is trying to encourage and pull together a church that is suffering persecution and being scattered. Members of the early church were being persecuted for believing and following Jesus at the hands of their own Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. You see, Christians there were facing pressures on three fronts. There were three aggressors that were persecuting the Christians. Number one were the Romans. The actual Roman citizens. Number two were the Jews. Because early Christians, they maintained their legal status in Rome because Rome associated the Christians with the Jewish people. And the Jewish people could not stand that. And then it was their own families. Their own families would kick them out if they confessed Christ. So this persecution led to being a target in Rome. Many feared that the church would rise in power and overthrow the world powers. And again, so many misunderstood Jesus' true message. But Peter, he spoke from experience. Peter knew firsthand about the persecution of the church. He was beaten. He was jailed. He was threatened. And Peter's heart broke as he saw his brothers and sisters in Christ literally running for their lives. So he wrote this letter. This was a plea of a man that loved his people. And then it says, he says that you were chosen. God the Father knew you, and he chose you long ago. Originally, God's chosen, they were the Jewish nation of Israel. They are still God's chosen people, primarily are the Jewish nation, the people of Israel. That has not changed, but because of Jesus' work on the cross, all believers in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles alike, belong to God's family. That is why we are here today. Our salvation and security rest in God's merciful choice. No trials or persecutions can take away the fact that God chose you. Hear hear me now. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. The Holy Spirit pulled you to Himself and gave you the opportunity to accept or reject His offer of love, forgiveness, and salvation. And so... The, the fact that God foreknew you means that God had intimate knowledge of these future believers. 
He knew who would believe and who would not. Now, we're not going to get into the tall weeds this morning, but you have two primary doctrines here of uh, election, and you have free will, which uh, makes itself into what they call Calvinism and Arminianism, and that is a, a whole other bucket of worms. But I want to say from the beginning, and say it clearly here today, that the Bible has shades of both of those. And so when it says that God foreknew, that he knew you were going to become a Christian, can you actually tell me that it was just by chance that you got the offer? Kind of like somebody was going down the road and you hitched a ride. Is that the way salvation comes? No, absolutely not. God knew the choices you would make. Your whole life was planned out in front of Him. And He knew that you would choose Him, but yet still gives you the opportunity to make that choice. I'll put it this way. God shows His love for everyone by not forcing their actions, but giving them a choice. To love or reject Him. This is initiated by Him. If you are a believer, it was not initiated by you and your good behavior. It was initiated by the grace of God. This is initiated by Him for us to respond. It is God's sovereignty with our choice. And even in verse 2, we see the Holy Trinity. It mentions God the Father, that He chose us. Ephesians 1.4, God the Son, Jesus Christ, died for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5, verses 6 through 10, God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings benefits of salvation and sets us apart for God's work. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So the Trinity works together to bring you into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, which will help you grow in your faith. Now, wait a minute, James. You were sitting here talking just a few minutes ago about how rough the world is. You were talking about storms and you were talking about all this stuff. But now you've gone into preacher mode and you're talking about salvation. You're talking about choice. You're talking about doctrine, all these things. What what is the... What's the takeaway here? I don't understand where you're going with this. Well, I'm sure they thought the same thing with Peter, but look at what he does next. He says, believers live with great expectations. Some translations call it a living hope. That's the one thing that the world wants to take away from you, is hope. That's one thing the devil wants to take away from you today, is hope. That's one thing our government is taking away from us every day, is hope. That is one thing that living in a sinful world and having a body that gets older and diseases and death, it wants to take away hope. But look at what Peter says here. He says, All Peter could do is praise Jesus for salvation. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. By God's mercy, believers have been born again. The term born again is is really, um, Jesus coined it and... We know that because of what the Bible says and what people say, like nowadays, if you'll see people and they want to give a derogatory term for a Christian, they say, oh, they're one of those born-againers. Have you heard that? I've heard that one. Oh, they're just born again. But even back in this day, we see that when Jesus was speaking to a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, he said, born again, does that mean that I have to crawl inside my mother's womb and come back out? He was the left brain kind of guy. He couldn't figure that out. But Jesus goes on to explain. He says, 
In John 3, verses 3 and 4, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again means regeneration, not renovation. Born again means regeneration, not renovation. Well, what does that mean? 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's on the screen for you. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. They've become born again. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. When you come to Jesus Christ, it is not like when you watch the, the uh, Home and Garden channel where it's a, this is a fixer-upper, love it or list it, flip it or flop it or whatever they call these things. You know, we always love to see people come in, they look at these houses and they will pick it apart. And then when they go back and show you what they did to it, you're like, I kind of liked it the other way. But the truth of the matter is, is that when Jesus comes into your life, he doesn't buy a few screen doors, patch up a couple of sheetrock holes and, and redo a kitchen. He takes it down to the ground and rebuilds it. On a solid foundation. That's what he does with your life. You are not part of the old person you used to be. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a new person. And to be saved or to find salvation from our sins is a merciful work of God. And because the gift of salvation, we live with a great expectation. Peter calls this living hope living because of one simple reason. Jesus is Alive. We serve a risen Savior. Jesus is alive. We have a living hope. If you are part of any other, I won't call them denomination, but any of these other belief systems that are based not on Jesus Christ, but on somebody else, that is a dead hope. Because they are worshiping gods that are dead. Jesus Christ is alive and well, and you have a living hope Today, first Peter chapter four or chapter one, verse four says, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of of change and decay. Have you ever fantasized about a long lost family member who left you a large inheritance? Maybe you had an uncle somewhere or or an aunt or a, a great great grandfather that Bought stocks in Coca-Cola when they were like one dollar a stock, and then now it's it's like crazy, crazy money. Well, we kind of come on. Maybe I'm just the only one that fantasizes about that. But yeah, it'd be kind of cool to know that you had some kind of hidden inheritance that you didn't know about. Now, who knows? Maybe those emails that say there's a prince in the Middle East who has died and left you a lot of money are true. Yeah, we wish. I gotta find that prince, you know, if you send a thousand dollars, they will get the travel ready so you can go over there and collect that money, right? I wouldn't suggest putting any faith in those emails either. But think about this. Anything, anything, anything and everything you could inherit in this world at some point on this ball of dirt and chemicals and gases all working together. Everything that you could inherit on this earth, other than Jesus Christ and eternal life, will rot, break, or fail. Anything. The great car, the big house, the big bank account, the great stock portfolio, the great retirement plan. All of these great things are going to be gone one day. 
But as a believer, your inheritance as a child of God is imperishable and incorruptible. No matter what this world does to you, you can rejoice for what is to come, believer. And it says in verse 5, your inheritance is protected. It says, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Tony Evans puts it in his commentary like this, and I'll just put it word for word on the screen for you. In God's grip, if you are truly born again, you're not going anywhere. If you are truly born again, you're not going anywhere. Not because of your power to hold on to God. But because God has an omnipotent grip on you. Even when you let go of God, He will not let go of you. If you have the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, it is protected. The third thing we see in verses 6 through 7 is that we can be glad when the thunder rolls. He says, verse 6, So be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for As rough as this world is, and as tough as it can be, he says, so be truly glad, because you may endure trials for a little while. Do you think he thought about that when he was being hung on a cross upside down and killed for believing in Jesus? Did you think he said, look, go ahead and hang me, kill me, because I know my last breath here means my next breath is with my best friend in heaven. It doesn't mean Peter was racing to die, but it does mean that it doesn't matter what they do to his body, his soul was going to be with Jesus. He says in verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. There are times when I feel like, Lord, I don't even know if my faith is genuine because it's being tested so much. I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. But, folks, let me tell you something. There is a lot said for blind, dull, step one foot in front of the other, obedience to the Lord. My faith today is not what it was yesterday. And it's certainly what what it was Five, ten years ago. The things that I experience today, although they are huge, would have bowled me over five, ten years ago. You know what I'm talking about. You see it in your life as well. He says, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Folks, what kind of testimony would Peter or any of the disciples have If when it came time for them to take their stand, they recanted or they begged for their lives, pleading, say, look, forget Jesus, please don't kill me. Please don't behead me. Please don't hang me upside down. Please don't. No, it's okay. I'm out of here. Forget it. You're right. Forget Jesus. What if they would have done that? We wouldn't be here today, would we? The authenticity and strength of your faith will be revealed when it is tested. The authenticity and strength of your faith will be revealed when it is tested. Like Paul, Peter knew his last breath on earth 
would mean his next breath would be in heaven. He would be united with Jesus, his best friend, his savior, his king. Again, the world will kill your resolve. It can kill your body, but it cannot kill your salvation and it cannot take your eternal inheritance. To those who reject Jesus, this world will be as good as it gets. And that is sad. But for believers, it will get much better. For non-believers, it will get much worse. I, have, I say it's a privilege. It was, it was quite, quite trying, but um, I had the opportunity to lead in a funeral yesterday of a 15-year-old man, young man. He was a firefighter. You may have seen it on the news. They had the ladder trucks. They had the, the, the last call on all of those things. It will, will just rip a fireman out of their frame. And his parents are very close to Donna and I, and some even in this room. And I thought, as a minister, how do you, you can't sugarcoat this. A random tree during a storm falls on a 15-year-old man who has the whole life ahead of him? That's only part of the story. The great part of the story is this. Not too long ago, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. The great part of this story is he talked to his friends about the Lord and he got his friends to come to church. He told his parents about his decision to follow Christ. And so I can't answer the question why, but I can tell you this. His life had purpose. His faith was genuine And his legacy will be something for his family and friends to follow forever. So in 15 years, this young man did what is taking some people their entire lives to find. And so when you're sitting there and you're thinking about how terrible this is, if you are a believer in Christ, you can rejoice because the inheritance doesn't end on this side of the the earth. It doesn't, the inheritance doesn't end when the last shovel of dirt is put on top of the grave. The inheritance goes forward. It is waiting on you. This is not as good as it gets. It gets better. We will see him again. His family will see him again. If their faith is placed in Jesus Christ, there will be kids that will never forget the fact of what Jesus did in that young man's life. And the same thing goes for you. Look, I know life is tough. I've got tough things too that I go through. But if you are a believer, hold on. Because you are in God's grip. He's got you. And He may very well, like Job, be using your trials to show your faith to somebody who needs to see it. The genuine authenticity of your faith is shown in trials and tests. God is using these things 
for His glory. The devil did not win that day when that tree fell. The devil did not win when your friends have passed away. The devil did not win when freak accidents happened. The devil did not win when your parents passed away. The devil did not win. It is a living hope of great expectation that it is going to get better. This is not the end. The authenticity and strength of your faith will be revealed when it is tested. And I've got some dear friends right now that are living that every day. Finally, rejoice in your salvation and do not take it for granted. You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Just a quick disclaimer, this is not a reference to eternal salvation. The readers already have their salvation. It's a talk about your salvation will give you future awards that await you. If you love Jesus, you will trust Him enough to obey Him and work to praise Him and tell others about Him. I don't know about you, but if, if you're part of a group or you go to the store and you get like 50% off on something, you're going to tell somebody about it. You know, I went to the store the other day and it was 50% off. It was a deal. Or hey, I got this, I got this discount code. You go to Amazon and enter this, you get 20% off. Let me, let me share that with all my friends. But yet Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, saves you from your sin and death and gives you an eternal inheritance. Oh, that's a personal choice. People don't want to hear about that. That's not what Peter is saying. Years ago, you would write the name of someone you loved on your notebook. Yeah, some of these kids don't even know what that's like. Now it's a a Facebook feed or an Instagram picture or something like that. That's how you confess your love. But some of you remember the days where if you wanted to confess your love, you went on top of a water tower and painted it, right? I'm not encouraging that. Nor did I ever do it. For the record. But yeah, we want to tell people how we love somebody. We want to show, uh, we want people to know who we're with. What do we do with our faith? Is it a private thing we keep to ourselves? If somebody had kept their faith private, you wouldn't be here today. And there may be somebody in your circle that God has placed you in that needs you to share him with them. Maybe it's just an invite to church. Maybe it's just to talk about what the Lord has done in your life. You don't have to have five points and three scriptures to do that. Just tell them what Jesus is doing in your life. And if he's not doing anything, maybe that's the problem. How much effort do we put into telling others about how much we love Jesus? Probably much less effort than Jesus did in dying for our sins. I can, I can bet you that. So verse 10, the salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about or when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been 
announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. My friends, blue skies are ahead for every believer. Though it may be storming now in your life. Though it may literally be storming where we live. Blue skies are ahead for every believer. Think about it. Every storm passes. Every fire eventually goes out. Every trial ends. Jesus loves you even in the midst of your hardest days. Don't let the devil blind you to the inheritance that awaits all believers. If you are not a believer today, why would you not want a do-over? To be born again, forgiven of your sins, and the hope of heaven for eternity. It won't take the pain from trials and persecution away today. But it will give you a finish line to stay focused on. God loves you. God will keep you in his grip. And blue skies are ahead, my friend. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. As we have have gone through these passages, Lord, just a reminder of the great inheritance that we have because of your son, Jesus Christ. And every one of us in here is at different levels spiritually and in our walk with you. And so, dear Heavenly Father, it is my prayer That if there is even just one person today that wants to know for sure that they are born again and that they have this inheritance awaiting them, may they not leave this place today before they talk with me or someone about making that right. Maybe someone just wants to come to the altar and pray. Maybe they want to join the church. Whatever it may be, Lord, this invitation is a time for you to work and them to respond, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.